G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. I wonder whether you give much thought often to the idea that you might have attitudes to various people in our community which may not be according to a biblical alignment. Well, let's have some conversation today about how we think about older Australians. And there is a terminology around which might connect us in some ways to the sorts of attitudes we might need to adjust. The idea of ageism. And we'll talk to aged care chaplain Ben Boland. Ben has worked in aged care for a long, long time and loves to reflect on church and Christian attitudes to people growing old. Ben Boland, welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Lovely to be with you. Ben, this terminology, ageism, uh, we can have that applied in all sorts of contexts, but in some sense, we as Christian believers and parts of churches and all around Australia, we'll have to contend with this more and more because there are more and more older Australians. What are your thoughts on that terminology of ageism and how it relates to Christians? Oh, look, unequivocally, um, ageism is a significant issue. Um, the World Health Organization has just recently put out a report saying that 50% of the pop- world's population, 50%, so one in two people globally are ageist. Um, I don't know about you, but I find that uh, moderately shocking, actually. Um, and it's not simply um, the World Health Organization we need to think through in there. Um, when you listen to media or watch media particularly, um, Think about the number of jokes that are made at the expense of an older person. Um, And often, if you consider those jokes, um, how would they go if the butt of the joke um, was another group who have been mistreated by society? Um, That's pretty stark. Um, But I think ageism has actually predates Australia, in fact, well predates Australia. Uh, In fact, if we look at the Old Testament, um, we see commandments and very clear commandments to honour your parents and to care for the widow. Um, and that would suggest to me that there was a tendency, even in the ancient Near East, for people to be ageist, to not honour their parents, to not care for the widow and indeed the widower. So I think it is a real issue and it really comes down to not simply not doing it, but what value do we give people and where does people's value come from? As you say, we've got this focus on young people and the focus comes off the elderly. I wonder whether you have any thoughts around the idea that because the government funds aged care, you can sort of palm off the responsibility to what's coming via government funding and government regulation of the aged care system, uh, taking the pressure off younger people to even think about the value of the old. Yeah, I think um, that is very much the case. Um, We have a system where older people um, are not 
important in the budget to be called hard truth. Now, I know the latest budget has a significant injection, um, but it's not nearly close enough to provide adequate, let alone good care, across aged care. In past times, Ben, we've talked about the church and involvement in aged care and uh, the idea that you might reflect on the Bible, Acts chapter 6, the appointment of leaders specifically to care for widows. And that might indicate the idea that churches have this long history would be based on those biblical foundations, wouldn't it? Very much so. Um, And we see it in Acts. Our early church history is full of recordings of the early church caring for orphans and for older people, for widows and widowers for that matter, um, who were not blood relations. And that startled the world around them. Um, At that stage, the Roman government doesn't provide any um, social security of any form, particularly for infants um, who were often left out to die. And for old people, um, unless they were family members. And yet the church cared for them, and that care led people to come to consider Christianity and indeed to come to faith. So there actually is a witness in the way that we care for older people, and that in itself demands our attention to the way we care for the elderly. But let me ask you, Ben, have you discovered this sort of thing along your travels? Are younger people, do they have a tendency to actually be afraid of getting into the aged care space because of you know issues like dementia and some things that don't altogether add up to our cognitive way of thinking this is the way it always should be and some things are a little bit different. Is there a certain fear of what might be a little different in caring for some elderly? Yeah, I think there is unequivocally fear. Um, And it's not just in young people. Um, I see that fear in retirees who are hesitant to come into aged care centres because they're aware that one day they may be in there and that's terrifying for them. Um, I think part of it, too, um, comes out of how we've done school and, to some extent, church. Um, At school, we segregate kids, by and large, into friend groups or peer groups who are their own age or a year or two above or below. Um, And we've done the same thing in churches. We've got the Sunday school group and the creche group and the mid-year group or the um, crossover group to try and pick up kids coming into high school and then the high school group and then the young adults group. So we've actually trained people um, to relate primarily to people who are within a few years of their own age. Um, So that means that a 16-year-old may not be comfortable talking to someone who's 50, um, and 50's not old. Um, So that's a real challenge for us. Um, We do that in church services too. I see Churches that have a, I'll pick on, say an eight o'clock service, which is called traditional, translation, hymns, organs, and the old people, and then a family service, which is sort of mid-morning and a bit more hip, and then an evening service, which is geared towards the young people. Um, One of the implications of that is that we actually segregate and separate the generations. So younger people don't have the relationships Um, And older people don't have the relationship with younger people. Um, And I think that's uh, dangerous. Um, Yeah, I'll leave it at dangerous. I imagine that there's an upside to what happens in a lot of churches in that 
Church is a great leveller and younger generations do get to mix with older generations. But when you've got a society that is detaching itself from church and those sorts of gatherings where there are the very young and the very old, some people are not even having access to older people at all. And no doubt that's cementing some sort of ways in which people can be detached from the needs of the older Australians. Uh, what are your thoughts for that sort of, you know, I'm talking about good things about what church does? Yeah, I think at our best, or well, at its best, church should actually be um, the great melting pot, to want to add a phrase, in that we don't go to church because we all are in X income bracket or we're all X gender or whatever. Uh, we come together unified in our identity as people created in God's image and people redeemed through God's love. Uh, and that transcends all the other societal markers. Um, so that's huge. Um, the challenge, I think, for us in that space, particularly in the Western context, is we've medicalized aging. Um, so often um, as people, and I've, I've seen situations where you've had someone who's really significantly involved in a local church. And then over time, um, they're getting older and then their involvement in activities at least may well be declining because they just can't get out. Then they lose their license. Um, and typically the minister who, who knew them before continues visiting them. But then you get a change of minister and the new minister didn't know them as a younger person or as a heavily involved person. So they're sort of pushed to the peripheral. And because they can't drive or they've got transport issues um, or they're caring for a partner, who needs the significant care, whether that's dementia or other issues, um, they're less able to be part of that community. And then they get to a point where they're getting, living at home with a home care package or they're in residential care or perhaps they're in hospital. And there really becomes a very stark divide and lack of community, which is terrible. I imagine that there are some practical things we could all be thinking about so far as the ageing communities around us, uh, because loneliness is a huge issue, isn't it? And uh, the issues of detachment from families. Uh, how do you think, Ben, practically you can make a difference in this area? I think we start by making a difference by caring about this area, Neil. Um, and that, that could be... Um, in the really big picture, caring about it enough for it to affect our vote and for how, how we advocate. Um, you know, if I take a step back into our local community or family context, it means thinking about how do we care for the older people in our family networks and, and also in our neighbourhoods. Um, now, there's lots of practical ways to do that, and I, I bore your listeners, I'm sure, um, but a lot of it is just turning up and being there. Um, what perhaps is more useful or helpful is facing how do you do it well when you've got a geographical disadvantage. Um, so my grandmother's dead now. She was the last of my grandparents, um, but she was four and a half hours drive away. Um, so it's not easy for me to drop in for a cup of tea. Um, it wasn't possible for me to do um, those things. Um, and if you're local, often a 10-minute visit is really valuable. Um, so doing that. But for me, I tried as much as I possibly could to use technology. So most days I would call my grandmother. Um, now, she's from a time, well, she remembers when phones didn't exist um, and party lines. So 
typically if three minutes into the conversation, oh, you better get off the phone because this could be costing you the year. Now, I've got a mobile plan that doesn't cost me the year. But so the conversation wasn't long. Um, but that gave her an insight into my world. It kept our connection going. It gave her something to talk about other than what was happening in her space in residential care. Um, equally, I had some children at that store. I still have children, but they're not learning instruments at the moment, who are learning instruments. So taking some short videos of them playing their latest piece and sending them to her, um, and she was able to use her iPad to watch those videos and would watch and re-watch um, Child X playing instrument badly, um, but that was really important. It gave her something to share with the other people in her community. So we can do that. We can do that with photos. We can do that with mobile devices. I think if COVID has an upside, it's teaching us that we can use technology effectively to connect. Now, it may not be as good as real flesh and blood, but the reality is that many of us are significantly geographically separated from loved ones. Um, and in COVID and particularly with lockdowns and states and areas and hotspots, let alone internationally, um, I want to really encourage people to use their technology well to connect with people. Yes, it's hard, um, but it's terribly important. Well, we started this segment talking about ageism, and oftentimes when we talk about these isms, there is a high level of discrimination. And uh, we've spoken before about ways uh, that uh, the older populations of Australia are discriminated against in a whole lot of different ways. But this idea of bringing a remedy in there and where it starts with us, where it starts with the idea of loving your neighbour as yourself, we can really directly apply a biblical foundation here, Ben. And uh, just as we close off this segment, applying that biblical foundation can adjust our attitudes to the ageing people in Australia, can't it? Very much so, very much so. Um, if we care about these people, we will pray for these people. If we care for these people, we will engage with these people. If we fail to pray and we fail to advocate and we fail to engage, um, are we loving them? Well, it is always so good getting your wisdom, Ben Boland. Uh, let me point people to how they can connect with you. You don't have a website to go to, but I can point people to your Jesus Love in Aged Care on YouTube. Simply type in Ben Boland, B-O-L-A-N-D, on YouTube, Jesus Love in Aged Care. You can also get a hold of some booklets that Ben has co-authored, Jesus Loves Me and Joy to the World. There's also a connection there on LinkedIn to find Ben Boland and the Jesus Loves Me book available through Hammond Care and the Bible Society. Ben, thanks so much for your insights today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's a privilege to be with you. Thank you, listeners. It's a privilege to have you listen. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.